joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above, melts the clouds of Thank you for joining us for this program from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning. It is so good to have you with us this morning. Thank you for being here uh, and making this a priority uh, in your week on this first day of the week uh, to come and worship with your brothers and sisters. It is just good to be together. If you want to open your Bible to the book of James, the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is where we will uh, jump into together this morning. As we do that, let's go to God in prayer as we prepare our hearts for our lesson. God, we thank you for the chance to be together this morning and to um, just be in your presence. Uh, we thank you for the songs that we have sung that have uh, been lifted from our hearts into your throne room, God. We pray that um, that our songs uh, have have brought you glory and praise today. We thank you for the chance to gather around the table um, and and remember uh, the sacrifice that your Son made, His death, His burial, His resurrection, which gives us so much hope in life. Uh, it gives us direction. It gives us grace and mercy, uh, and ultimately uh, through Him, uh, home in heaven with you one day. Be with us now as we open up uh, your words, uh, your book. Help us to clear our minds, to clear our hearts, uh, to make room for the Holy Spirit this morning, to allow your Spirit to convict us and to change us in the things in our life and in our hearts that need uh, that changing and cleansing, God. Uh, just be with us in this time. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. I just want you to think for just a moment about what maybe has been one of the most difficult moments of your life? What's, what's the most difficult, maybe challenge that you have faced, the moment where you realize this simple phrase, all I have left is God. All I have left is God. Let me ask you to, to think about this too for a moment. How many times in your life have you heard sermons and maybe you've heard Bible classes and you've heard lessons about really all you need in life is God? Raise your hand if you've heard those things before. All you need is God. All you need is just to trust in Him and He's going to take care of everything. And if you trust in Him and let Him have His way in your life, everything will work out for His good, for His honor, and for His glory. Now, you, I know you've heard it. Most of you, because you've heard me say it, you've heard me say it, and here's the, here's the thing about it, is it's true, isn't it? Isn't all we really need in life, at its purest point, is just a relationship with God? And then the other things in life will, will, will go in the direction that God wants them to go. They, they, will, they will unfold in the way that God needs them to unfold. He will accomplish His will through us. Yes, we'll face challenges, but we have God to help us through those challenges. Yes, we'll face difficult moments, but we'll have God to help us through those difficult moments. But I also think one of the scariest phrases for us as American Christians is the phrase, all I have left is God. Because we don't like to be vulnerable, do we? We don't like those moments in our life where our own strength, our own powers, our own abilities, our own smarts, 
our own thoughts and ideas, our own possessions. We don't like to think that there may come a time where I may be in a situation, I may be in a moment where I can't get myself out of that situation, where I have to be totally dependent on God to get me from where I am to where I need to go. As much of a true statement and wonderful idea this is, I believe as Christians, if we ever and when we do, because we do in our life, get to the point where all I have left is God, for us in many ways, that's one of the scariest places that we can ever be. Because we are so comfortable with our things. We're so comfortable with our abilities and our uh, ability to, to work through situations and get from point A to point B to point C on our own power, on our own time, and in our own way. As we open up into James chapter 4, we come to a, a part of our study here. In, in my Bibles, and maybe in yours too, it starts, uh, the heading anyway, which is, which is of man, not of God. But it's in my Bible, it's submit yourself to God. And that is something we're definitely going to talk about as we get into this particular chapter and particular words of James. But submission is another word for us as American Christians that I think is hard. Because submission means letting go. It means letting go of my ways, of my things, of my plans, and letting God have control of those things. And so how do we get to a place in our life where we have the intimacy, the friendship, the relationship with God that when I do get to this place, I don't get scared, I don't get overwhelmed, but I look at it and I go, it's all going to be okay. Because God may be all I have left, but God is all that I need. How do we get to that place? And James is going to talk about those things with us as we begin this study together. So let's start in chapter 1, and we'll read the first five verses together. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desire that battles within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? All right, so here's the first thing that I want us to think about this morning. As we think about this process of truly trusting in God, truly submitting to God, becoming a friend of God, the first thing I want you to think about with me is you know there is a battle over who will control your soul. You know that there is a battle over who will control your soul. Basically, in this particular section, James puts it this way. God can control you, or your pleasures, your desires, lusts, and cravings can control you. If you go back to our text, what does he say? He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He says, 
You desire, but you can't have, so you kill. You covet what you do not have, what you cannot get. Uh, I'm sorry, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have. Why? Because you don't ask who? God. And when you do ask, he says you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives because really all you want is to use it in your own selfish way. This right here is the greatest struggle for man, I believe, in our relationship with God. Do I truly allow God to be the number one, the ultimate thing in my life? Do I truly serve him, worship him, give him my all, or do I let the things of the world define who I am? Because let's just be real and let's just be honest. The things of the world are fun, right? The things of the world are fun. We're sitting in Jack's parking lot yesterday, and some uh, gentleman pulls up, and he's got a nice, shiny, clean, but he's just used it, sparkly bass boat. Beautiful, red, black, and sparkly. And Blair's like, why do they make them sparkly? I said, because rednecks likes things that sparkle. Because it looks good rolling down the water, right? It just looks, you know, the bass boats, the fishing boats are that way. You know, the ones that pull the inner tubes, they're not usually as sparkly. But man, those, those nice bass boats, they, they glisten like diamonds on the water. They look fun, don't they? Things of the world look fun. And I'm not saying that things of the world are necessarily always bad. There's nothing wrong with having that. There's nothing wrong with, with enjoying that and, and getting to a place in your life where you can enjoy good and nice things that maybe you can purchase and do and go places. But the question is, do they control you? Do those things, does your life revolve and circle around those things? Are they the most important things to you? Do you feel incomplete if you don't have those things? Or do you allow God to fill that place? Do you feel empty when you don't talk to God in prayer on a daily basis? Do you feel empty when you miss time studying God's word and you're not having that conversation? Do you feel empty when you miss moments with your brothers and sisters and miss out on the fellowship? Do those things make you empty because you've missed out in full when you're able to be a part of them? We all understand that there is this struggle and we face it and we deal with it and sometimes God wins out and sometimes our pleasures, desires, and lusts and cravings win out. It is a constant battle back and forth. But what are we really working toward? What are we really striving for? Do we understand we're going to be controlled by something? And we have to make the choice. Is it going to be God or our desires? To be a friend of God means I must develop discipline over my passions. It's not that in and of themselves my passions are wrong. It's not that in and of themselves, the things that I want to do, my hobbies, the things that I do for fun, the things that maybe I do that I don't necessarily consider, consider spiritual things, it's not that those things are wrong. The question is, do I have the ability to develop discipline over those things? Do I have the ability to make sure that they are in check? Because what happens is if we don't keep those things in check, they become undisciplined pleasures. Now, let's just talk about undisciplined pleasures for just a moment, because I, I think that we, we, there's some words here we'll throw up on the screen that I think that we'll see and understand. Anger is an interesting discipline, or, or even for some people, pleasure, but anger is an interesting thing. A lot of people 
think that they can get their way and they can get their, what they want by showing their anger. Anger is a very natural human emotion. It, it's something we are going to have moments in our life where we become angry. Anger in and of itself, the, the actual emotion is not necessarily, necessarily sinful, but what does Scripture say? He says, don't let the sun go what? Go down on your anger, down on your wrath. He says, be anger, but do not what? Sin. So he says, here is something in our life that we all feel, that we all deal with, that we all have to work on, that if we're not careful, it can become undisciplined. And when I have undisciplined anger, that leads to things like violence. That leads to me pushing uh, uh, my way upon other people. It leads me to acting in completely ungodly and unholy ways on, on the outside. But then there's also the inside part, that if I just suppress my anger and I just hold it in and I don't ever release that even in a positive way, that it takes me to a place of depression it takes me to a place of, of, of mental sickness, of mental challenge in, in my own walk with God. So I have to make sure that I don't have undisciplinedness in this idea. Here's one that I think we all can understand. How many of you love food? How many of you love food? Um, Brian's got maybe my favorite phrase. He says, this right here is a what? It's an optical illusion. He says, it looks full, but it never is. I had a buddy one time, he goes, I'm at that age where I get hungry in between bites. Anybody, anybody at that age, I get hungry in between bites. Is food a bad thing? Is food a bad thing? Actually, food's a very, it's a pretty big necessity, right? So it's not a bad thing. But what happens if we allow food to become an undisciplined pleasure? Food can cause stress in our life. If we overeat and don't eat properly, it causes stress in our life. It can cause sickness in our life. It can cause joylessness in our life to where we maybe get to a place to where we're not able to do what we want to do or can do. And it's something that in our life we have to practice discipline over. Money is one of those things. How many of you would say today that you don't want any more money in life? Anybody? That's, that's you know, I, I believe all of us would say if I have the opportunity or the ability, I want to earn what? More. I want to earn more. I think money is one of those things in our life that, that we look at the things that are going on, and we look at what's around us, and I may feel comfortable, but I always feel like I could use what? More. I feel like I could always use more. What happens when we use our money in an undisciplined way? We become very selfish in that. I just want more, want more, want more. It can also lead to places of unethical actions to where I'll do whatever it takes to get more. We could plug a lot of words into this particular slide and, and make the same point over and over. There's a lot of things in our life that in and of themselves, those pleasures aren't bad. They're not in and of themselves sinful. But if I live an undisciplined life and I let those things become my focus, I let those things control me, then they lead me down a road that ultimately makes me what? And maybe this is the most challenging part. It puts me in a place where my friendship with the world is what? Hatred toward God. How many of you would just voluntarily say, I hate God? I don't think any of us would. Why else would we be in this room this morning? But 
what of our actions, what of the things that control us, is our friendship with the world, does it show that that is more important to me than my relationship with God? So finding friendship with God, what do I have to do? How do I, how do I go from uh, this relationship with the world to the relationship with God? How do I make sure that these things in my life are not important, that God is important? The first thing is this, I have to make the decision to be his friend. I have to make the decision to be his friend. God's not going to make us be his friend. He's not. I have to decide for myself, I'm going to be a friend with Jesus. You know, there are, there are some people would say that there, there are just friendships that just naturally happen. Um, that it just, you know, this guy's been my friend my whole life. I don't know how we became friends, don't know when we became friends, but we've been friends forever. But somewhere along the way, whoever that person is, you had to make up your mind that you're what? Going to be their friend. You have to. Um, a, a good friend of mine, Greg Smith, we talk uh, very regularly about a lot of different things, a lot of scriptural things, a lot of biblical things. We study a lot together uh, in, in our own way uh, over the phone. One of the things that he talks about is that love is not an emotion. Love is a decision. Love is a decision. You decide who and what you love. My granddaddy always said love is a feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling that you've never felt before. You've heard me say that. What's another thing that that describes? Indigestion, you know. So love's not just a feeling, right? Love is a decision. I have to decide, do I want to love God and do I want to be friends with God? And when I make up my mind to do that, then these decisions to live a disciplined life, to not let these things get in the way, to not quarrel with people, to not covet things because I don't have, those things aren't going to rule my life. God's going to rule my life. But until I decide Jesus is my friend, that's the direction I'm going to go, then the world wins. The world has control. And the world makes my decisions. So the question becomes, what undisciplined pleasure is standing between God and me this morning? Think about your own life. Think about your own walk. And ask yourself that question. Is there an undisciplined pleasure that you say, God, it's all about you except in this area right here? And I still haven't given it up. I'm not talking about I haven't tried. I'm not, I've just decided I'm not giving it up. Because that shows your mindset. We have to say, I may not always win it. I may not always defeat it. But I'm going to try. I'm going to give it everything I have because I'm friends with God. Are you friends with God this morning? And is, if not, is what's in the way of that? That's, that's your first question this morning. Let's look at our second point here. Wherever it may have gone. Here's the next idea. Intimacy with God is found when we surrender. All right? Intimacy with God is found when we surrender. Let's go and start in verse 6 and keep going here through verse 12. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, 
the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? All right. So here it is. Intimacy with God is found when we surrender. You know, this is a very backward statement in Scripture. This is a very backwards idea because we are told and taught in life to fight, right? Fight for what you want. Fight for what you need. Never give up. You know, if, um, if you want something bad enough, you know, get mad about it. That's what Blair says. If you want something bad enough, get mad about it. Just get fighting mad to where all you want to do is fight to get to where you want to go, to, to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. But the backward side of, for that of, of us as Christians, and maybe the challenging part sometimes, is that intimacy with God is not found in fighting with our own strength, our own abilities, and our own powers. It is found when we give up. It's found when we give up. To our coaches in the room, how often have you ever stood on the sideline and been like, guys, I know you're playing as hard as you can. But let's just give up. Alex, is that the answer? Give up. Dylan, is that the answer? Give up. No, it's not the answer. If anything, our mindset when things are hard and we struggle is to what? Fight harder. Give more effort. Try to get every ounce of strength out of us. But when we have undisciplined lust, power, and pleasures in our life, we can get so lost in those things and we can get so far down into those things that when we decide, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, we're not capable of fighting our way out of it. We're not capable of fighting our way out of it. We got ourselves into that problem. We got ourselves into that situation and we're not going to be able to on our own power and own might and own strength get ourselves out. And then there's even another step to it that's even more challenging and maybe even more scary to think about. That I can get so lost in my undisciplined pleasures in life that I get to a point, and I know this is possible because I've talked to people that have, have, have been at this point in their life, and they said, I know I'm going to hell, and I don't care. I enjoy where I am so much in my undisciplined love and lust for the world that I'm just going to live it up, and I don't care. When we get to that place spiritually, our own strength will never get us out of it. The only thing that gets us out of it is to say, I give up. I give up. It's not about me. It's about God. And he says, that's your first step to repentance. That's your first step to getting back into the great relationship with Jesus. It's about surrender and repentance. So, so let's break this down. So, so this is what he says in this text. He says, but he gives us more grace. And then hold on to that because we're coming back to that. But he says, this is why scripture says God what? Opposes the who? The proud. He opposes people who says, I'm going to do it. He opposes people who says, I'm going to win this with my own strength. I'm going to win the argument. I'm going to overcome the challenge. I'm going to do these things. He says, no, he opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He shows favor. How many of you grew up with siblings? How many of you grew up with siblings? Okay. How many of you knew that there was a favorite sibling? How many of you were that favorite sibling? 
I was until my sister came along. I was favorite for eight years, and then I've not been the favorite since. I'm not bitter about that, though. We can, we can move on past that and not get into that. But there's always, it seems like, that kid in the family that gets all the what? All the favor. They get all, they're the best one. They're the most important one. Everything they do, they're the golden child. And it's the same way in the church. God says, I have favorites. I have some that I'm going to show more favor to than others. But it's not based on who you are, where you came from. It's based on your attitude. If you're looking around and you're going, well, so-and-so seems like they're getting blessed more than me these days. Look at your own life and go, am I being proud? Am I living a life that I'm saying it's about me? It's about what I want. It's about getting what I want. It's about reaching this goal in life because I want this prestige. I want this. I want this. Are you living that life or are you truly being humble before God? Because if you live a life of proudness, it says God opposes that. He he doesn't want anything to do with it. But if you want favor from God, you live how? Humbly. So how do we do that? He goes on. How do we live this life of humble repentance and surrender before God? He says the first thing you do is you submit. Submit. And submit is not a forceful word here. Submit is not, I'm, I'm, I'm letting someone just beat me down. Submission is a, submission was a military word actually. That says I voluntarily relinquish myself to you. I will follow your commands. I will follow your orders. But I'm doing that because I have decided that this is what's best. And so I submit. So the first thing he says is you get to that place in your life where you realize God's commands, God's decrees, all these things of God are better than what you have. So you submit yourself then to God. And then you say, I'm going to do everything I can to resist the devil. I'm going to resist. I'm going to stay away. These things that I know bring me down, these friends that I know bring me down, these situations I know that bring me down, I'm going to stay away from those things. I'm going to get out of those situations and put myself in a situation where I can see those things from a distance, and if they begin to creep up on me, I can resist them. I can push them away. Because if you do that, what does he say? Satan will flee from you. And then, after I get that part done, I come near to God. I put myself in a place where he can stretch his arms out and wrap them around me and I can be safe in his arms. And then he says, wash your hands, you sinner. That, that's, that's a Hebrew idea, a Hebrew idea of ceremonial cleansing, of, of making yourself ceremonially clean, of, of repentance and, and washing yourself before God and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Wash the things of the outside and purify the things of the inside. That is how we walk to God in repentance. But it's no joking matter. He said these things should make us what? Grieve, mourn, and wail. So the beginning of James starts out with, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And so a lot of times in our life when we face challenges and trials, those things that come at us in life, when we face those things, it's easy for us to get overwhelmed and we grieve and mourn and well in those moments. And we're so upset because my life is challenging. This moment is hard. But God says in those moments you find what? Joy. 
Those moments you're like, hey, things are great. Things are wonderful. Yeah, I've got this challenge, but things are going to be okay because God's got me. He says, what brings you to your knees is when you realize these undisciplined pleasures in my life are making me an enemy to God. And when I realize that and I'm working my way back, he says, those things bring you to your knees and you grieve and mourn and wail. He says, you change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. But guess what? You don't stay there. That's the great part. You don't stay there. He says, you humble yourself before the Lord. And what will he do? He will lift you up. Our desires make us feel important. Our possessions make us feel important. It makes us feel that we're worthy of something. Or we love it when people look at us and go, well, look what they have. They must be doing well. They must really be doing well in life. They're making it. They're living the dream. No, it may just be that they're worshiping the wrong thing. Because that will crash. That will burn. That will fail. It will fall. But God won't. He says, when you realize your relationship with me is not the way it needs to do, it should bring you to your knees. And once you hit your knees, I, as in God, will lift you up to a place that you find the joy again, that you find the laughter, that you find the peace. And that is being co-heirs with Jesus. He doesn't say that here. That's what Paul says that we are, that we are co-heirs with Jesus. He's going to put us at his right hand. So friendship with God means, number one, making the decision to be his friend, but secondly, turning our life completely over to him. Letting him be the most important thing. Let's keep, let's keep going and wrap up here. Here's the last thing I want you to think about with me. We must learn that the future is in God's hands. Part of the challenge of surrendering is we're afraid of what's going to happen next. I know that there's a battle over my soul and I'm holding on to the things of this world because uh, when, when the difficult time comes, I want to make sure I'm in control. Let's look at what he says as he wraps up this chapter. He says, now, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. How many of you have ever felt this, have felt this phrase before? I feel out of control. Right, raise your hand. You're just in a moment in life and you're like, I have tried. I've done everything that I need to do. I've prepared for this moment. I've practiced for this moment. Uh, I, I, I was ready. I thought for it. But man, I'm just in this moment where I feel out of control. The truth is, I was never in control in the first place. You're not in control. How many of you like that statement? You are not in control. How many of you are sitting in a pew with someone that they just love? To control the situation. I've got to. Emmy goes. I don't know if she's talking about Will. Or someone else on the pew. But Man. How many, how many of us. Just you plan. And you plan. 
and you prepare and you prepare. And that's just your mentality. I'm a planner and I'm a preparer. How many of you are a planner and a preparer? Raise your hand. Planners, preparers. It happens when that plan just, somebody just throws a curveball right into it. Vicky, what happens? Down. It's not good, right? It's not good. <laughs> Opie's back there going, no, it is not good. Okay, some of us are just geared that way. And like we, we, just, we just want it to just go this way and this way. and this. Because if it goes the way that I want it to go, then it's going to be perfect. It's going to work out. It's going to be just, just do what I want you to do. Listen, just, just do what I want you to do. That way we know it's going to be done right. Some of us are just that way. Some of us, and those of you that like control, you don't like people like me. Because I'm like, oh, it'll be all right. It's going to be okay. Yeah, we got some plans. What are we going to do? I don't, I, I've got some plans. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. I, I got some thoughts. Do you know what they are? Not yet. They'll come to me. It'll be all right. It, it, it'll be all right. Um, I, I'm, I can be a planner when I need to. But hey, if I need to fly by the seat of my pants, no problem. Not going to stress me out in the least. Not going to stress me out one bit. It's going to stress you out. But it's not going to stress me out. Vicky, is that going to stress you out? Yes, not going to stress me out one bit. Not one bit. Because here's the thing. We're never in control. We're never in control. So what does that mean? Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. With you in charge, how are things really working out? When you're in charge in life, how do things really work out? Do you really want to drag the pain of the world with you to your grave? Do you really have the joy, peace, contentment that God offers? Or through my control, am I trying to fight to win it? Because the truth is, I have to be willing to just accept the will of God. I have to be willing to accept the will of God. Now, what he's not saying in this passage, I don't want you to miss this. We're going to wrap this up here very quickly. What he's not saying here in this passage is to not plan. What he's saying here is don't be in a place in your life where your success depends on your success. Don't be in a place where I've put all this work and plan and effort in, and if it doesn't go off just the way that I want it to, then my world's going to fall apart. He says, understand in your life that you can plan, you can, you can work in a direction, you can be strategic in your thinking, but understand that ultimately the most important thing is that God's will gets done and not whose, not mine. And being a friend with God means that I accept God's will and that if what I want to happen doesn't happen, it's okay. Because God may have better plans. God may have different plans. Let me tell you what, I, I do. I, I struggle with that sometimes in, in ministry. When, when you sit down and, and you work on a, on a project or a ministry and, and, and it, you're like, hey, this is, when this happens and this happens and this happens and you get to, and this should be the end result, and then you get to the end result and it just, it just flops. It just flops, and it does not work out the way that you wanted it to. It does not work out the way you thought it should. It was just, it was a great idea, but it was executed poorly, maybe, and it gets to the other end and just flops. It's easy to be like, I messed up. But maybe, maybe that was God's will. Maybe God was teaching you something in that process. Maybe God was showing you something in that process. Maybe that was a good idea, but it needed 
God in the middle of it and not just you. And it's never going to succeed without God. We have to get to a place in our life where we accept the will of God, even if that means I have to let go of control. Because my control can make me an enemy of God. So I ask you this morning, do you want to be a friend of God? Do you want that to be what and who defines you in your life? Then these are some things you're going to have to do. Make the decision to be his friend. Turn over all of your life to him and accept his will in your life. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the chance to be with you this morning. We thank you for James and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the message and the challenge that they give us in our life to just make it all about you. Help us to do that this morning in the most powerful way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Instagram. And Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Demand.